Hello and welcome to this Global Situation podcast from International SOS, the leading medical and security risk management business. I'm Chris Giles. Well, this is the podcast where we provide you with timely analysis and tactical insight for your organization. And in this episode, we're focusing on the rise of mosquito-borne diseases ahead of World Malaria Day, with a message that one bite is all it takes. We'll discuss what you need to be aware of, how to stay safe, and what you should do if you become sick. Well, joining me for the podcast is Dr. Daniel Slane, International SOS's Regional Medical Director for the Americas, and Dr. Mark Parrish, who's our Regional Medical Director for the Pacific and Australia and New Zealand. So, Daniel, can I come to you first? I guess when we think about mosquito-borne illnesses, perhaps the first thing that comes to mind is malaria. Definitely. That's probably one of the main diseases people think about when they're thinking about mosquito-borne illnesses. But there are many others as well. They include Zika virus, West Nile virus, chikungunya, dengue, and there's more as well. So taking all those things into account, can you tell me how many people are affected by mosquito-borne illnesses around the world? Yeah, so according to the World Health Organization, there were 200 and almost 50 million malaria cases and over 600,000 deaths due to malaria in 2021. 70% of the deaths were in children under the age of five. So this ends up translating to about 3.2 billion people, or nearly half of the world's population, are at risk for malaria. Most commonly, we're going to see this in Africa, which does account for 95% of all malaria cases, 96% of all malaria deaths. And uh, in that region, 80% of the deaths were in children under age five. When we look at other regions around the world, uh, malaria is present, but there's varying rates of success. In Southeast Asia, actually, the, the incidence has been falling, so they've been uh, doing very well. In the Eastern Mediterranean region, uh, it's a steady 2.5%. In the Americas region, it's, it is quite low. It's 0.2%, but it's still, it's still significant. In the United States, uh, last year, there was 1,500 malaria cases that were diagnosed, and, and there's many, many more that go undetected just because people are not looking at it. I'll make brief mention of dengue as well, since uh, th- that's uh, a, a very important and, and common disorder. More than 3.9 billion people in over 129 countries are at risk for contracting dengue, with an estimated 96 million symptomatic cases and 40,000 deaths every year. So that's a very real disease. And just like we said earlier in regards to malaria, this is very, very preventable. So, Dr. Mark Parrish, it's preventable. But do you think there needs to be greater awareness amongst the public of the illnesses that mosquitoes can cause? Yes, certainly, Chris. Um, We see, sadly, malaria deaths every year, a completely preventable disease. People seem to think that they are immune to it, but sadly, they're not. And we should remember that you can die within 36 hours of having symptoms. It can kill you very, very quickly once you've had those symptoms. Also, it's not getting any less. The problem is likely actually to get worse with climate change, and that's a real concern. You know, as the world heats up, mosquitoes will spread further. There's been some work done which shows that you know your average malaria mosquito um, expands its range from the equator, you know, north or south, by about four to five kilometers every year. So we see the disease expanding. So Danny's comments on maybe. 600, 700,000 deaths um, are going to go up. They're likely to go up. In fact, those death rates are probably low because I suspect we feel that a lot of malaria deaths just aren't reported. 
So, so what makes our concern greater today, for example, than last year? Well, last year, everybody was big on the big C word COVID and had sort of forgotten about malaria. Now we are, let's say, back to, and I put it in inverted commas, normal. We're all traveling again. We feel that COVID has gone away. We have forgotten, and this happened before COVID, we have often forgotten about these malaria and, and mosquito-borne diseases. We regularly see, sadly, in, in our business, people who die from malaria, which is completely preventable. These are traditionally, and I'm going to be you know, terribly biased here, um, older adult males who come from an engineering background, who've been traveling to Africa, for instance, for 20 or 30 years. They're the only expert who can fix the widget, they say, that they really need to fix in some remote site. Um, they feel they're completely immune to malaria mosquito. Oh, the malaria mosquitoes, they never bite me. Sadly, they do. Um, they don't take any preventive action. They don't take chemoprophylaxis, you know, the tablets you take. And then we get a phone call to say that this individual has been found dead in his bed. Terribly sad and also incredibly easy to prevent. I mean, talking about preventative approaches then, Daniel, I mean, what should people be doing before they travel to these locations or even just if they're in their own locality? Exactly. So, yeah, the two different categories that you brought up here are people who are traveling and people that live in a location where mosquito-borne illnesses are, are endemic. So one of the first things that travelers should do is at least several weeks before you travel, you should go speak with a medical professional who is familiar with uh, travel medicine. And that would include, of course, international SOS. We're here for you 24-7. So this is going to be one of the most important things where we can talk about what kinds of personal protective measures you can take to uh, stop yourself from getting one of these diseases, which, as Dr. Paris said, stated, are incredibly preventable. What sort of approaches then would you suggest? Is it a case of taking some tablets regarding malaria or is it a case of having some sort of preventative spray, for example, to stop mosquitoes biting you? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of this depends on where you're going. If you're traveling to a place where there aren't mosquitoes, then you'll have to worry about other things, but not mosquito bites. If you are traveling to a location where there's mosquitoes and associated diseases, then some of the things that you can do, and there are a large list of them, and you get this list when you speak to a professional about it, is taking the chemoprophylaxis. So that's uh, some some medications you can take, and those medications, they're, they're not perfect. Usually the reasons, if they fail, is because we're not taking them correctly. We don't start them early enough. We don't take them as directed. But if we take them, they're pretty good. There's a failure rate of about 1% to 3%. And those, those medications will change based on the type of malaria, if that's what you're taking it for, uh, where you're going, the local resistance, and some of the conditions of the traveler, their age, and if they're pregnant, and if they have other, other conditions. So that's one of the most important things you can do. But there's also steps that you can take to avoid getting bitten by mosquitoes in the first place. There's using uh, mosquito nets, if that's appropriate, where, where you're at. There's wearing light-colored clothing, having physical barriers to mosquitoes like window screens and closed doors, using uh, insect repellent. Of course, DEET is the most, uh, is considered the gold standard. So that's, uh, those are some of the steps. And then you can be familiar with what the conditions are where you're going. So in some locations, and depending what we're talking about, there may be peak biting times. You want to know those and avoid being outside during those times. Given what you said there, I, I think I'm going to have to take greater care in the future because 
even if it's just to use mosquito sprays. I mean, I've always hated the smell. No, but they're very, but they're very effective. They are. If it's DEET, they're very effective, Chris. Um, yeah. And this, I think, this is the thing that we 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 forget. It's this layered approach. You know, it's this Swiss cheese approach to preventing malaria. It's a whole range of things. The more we can do, the less likely we are to get malaria. And I can sympathize with you with the feeling of not wanting to use mosquito sprays. DEET. It's it's not fun. It smells bad. It tastes bad if you get it in your mouth. But I would argue that that is a whole lot better than getting malaria or dengue. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and do that. And do you think mosquitoes are becoming more resistant to maybe the medication that people take to protect themselves? Yeah, the malaria resistance to medications is is been known for a long time. So that's part of the reason why it's important to make sure that you choose the right medicine. And of course, you're doing that under the guidance of a medical professional. And it's not just malaria or dengue, is it, Mark? I think in Australia, where you are, there is concern growing about a new mosquito-borne illness, which is relatively new to your country. Yes, Chris. Uh, here in Australia, we've got Japanese encephalitis virus coming south, certainly present in Western Australia, northwestern Australia now. Um, that's a disease which is transmitted between pigs and then through mosquitoes. Uh, it's relatively new to Australia, and this is all because of climate change and the world warming up. I was talking to my a friend of mine who's the chief health officer of WA, and he said this is just likely to continue. It's been notified as a, as a disease of great concern in Australia. Dengue fever is another one. We see it in the tropics. We're increasingly seeing it in, in areas south of the tropics that come into Australia. It's just going to continue. We're going to have you know malaria here. I mean, remember that malaria was not confirmed to be eradicated from Europe until about 1970. The Netherlands finally said they had no malaria in 1970. So you think that's, you wouldn't imagine malaria being in Europe, would you? Well, certainly not in somewhere like the Netherlands, but it was. And so these climate change effects will be quite significant. And what happens were you to become sick? I mean, what are the symptoms to be mindful of? Fairly non-specific at first, and the, it can take quite a while before you get sick. I mean, depending which type of malaria parasite you're infected by, it may be anything up to a month before you get some symptoms. And then it's terribly vague symptoms. You know, you don't feel very well. You've got a bit of a headache, feel cold, a bit of aches and pains. Now, you know, if you or I had those symptoms nowadays, we would probably think we're more likely to have influenza or even another attack of COVID, wouldn't we, rather than malaria. And then after that, the disease really takes place and you can be really sick with awful headache, vomiting, shivers. Um, you can get anemia, you can become jaundiced, become very yellow. So this is quite a gradual progression. And of course, because it's so long after you've been bitten, we as individuals, I'm saying this as patients, don't always think about it. And certainly the clinicians that we may go are unlikely to think about it. And you've spoken about the spread of mosquitoes because of climate change. I mean, presumably they have no respect for borders, do they? And, and is it the case that, you know, maybe you travel to one area and one government has better surveillance and the clinics are more robust there and maybe just in the neighbouring country, it's a completely different situation? Oh, yes. There's no passports required for mosquitoes going across any international border. And you're absolutely right. Different countries have different ways of dealing with the disease. And this is a byproduct of COVID. 
um, we saw COVID affect countries' healthcare systems significantly. And that's not just in, let's say, their hospitals being able to cope. This spread onto their public health measures. And this has impacted some countries' ability to deal with malaria mosquitoes. And so there's a knock-on effect from that, which is another reason why we're likely to get more of these diseases in the future. Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of protection, when I was speaking earlier, we were talking about personal protective measures. But when you're asking about countries and borders, of course, there's the other category of protection, which could be called vector control. And that is, uh, you know, the effort to prevent mosquito breeding and killing the larvae. And so that's can be done on one's property, of course, that, that it can be uh, something individual that, that, that you do, but more likely it's done by government entities and, and businesses in the area. And so sometimes there are differences in countries depending on how proactive they are. In, in my region, in the, in the Americas, I think about the island uh, where, where Haiti and Dominican Republic are, and there certainly will be uh, uh, increased um, uh, a vector control in Dominican Republic than there is in, in Haiti. So mosquito-borne diseases are going to be much, much higher in Haiti than in Dominican Republic, for example. But we're starting to see it, you know, in the United States, uh, we're seeing dengue. And and uh, just as uh, Dr. Parrish here described, the uh, mosquitoes are starting to rise further and further north in the United States, and mosquito-borne illnesses are starting to occur as well. This really does sound quite scary. What would you say to people who are looking for advice to put their minds at rest? Well, I think there's a risk to everything, Chris. We should be aware of those risks and mitigate those risks as, as closely as, as best we possibly can. As Danny says, it's a combination of trying to stop the mosquito biting you in the first place. That's great. And then taking tablets to you know, kill the malaria parasite should the mosquito have bitten you anyway. Those two things can help. Also being aware of where you're going and being aware of malaria. But the other thing, and I touched on this earlier, it's this when you have a sickness and you've come back from malaria area, do tell your clinician of that. Because as clinicians, if we are in, let's say, downtown Sydney, where I am, or in Philadelphia, where Danny is, malaria is not necessarily the first thing we're going to think of when we see a patient coming through the door with a variety of non-specific symptoms you know as clinicians we are taught this great phrase at medical school you know when you hear hoof beats think horses not zebras now sure sometimes you'll get a zebra but that is really to stop us thinking of the wacky stuff every time a patient comes in the door but we're also taught to take a travel history from patients you know, have you been overseas now we don't always do that so it's as much on us if we don't feel 100% and we go and see the doctor say, oh, by the way, I was in Africa a month ago. That will help the clinician add that little trigger in his brain, his or her brain, to think, okay, maybe this is malaria. Maybe I should look for that. And I think it's one of the most important take-home points here is that the symptoms that you get, as, uh, as Mark described earlier, seem like the common cold or a common illness, you know, fever, flu symptoms, chills, headache, muscle aches, nausea, vomiting. It's very, very easy to overlook. It's also very easy, relatively easy to treat. So that is the point. And when people call us after they've traveled and they have some symptoms like that, that is one of the first things we'll bring up is we will ask a, a travel history because that's what we, we do for a living. But many urgent cares and emergency departments and primary care physicians won't know to ask that. So that's one of the most important things you can do as a, as a traveler is to bring it up, let your clinician know that you just traveled 
and perhaps that will trigger them to do some additional testing. Okay, Daniel, Mark, thanks so much for your insight and the advice. Yeah, Great pleasure. my pleasure. Now, if you've liked what you heard on this Global Situation podcast from International SOS, please check out our other recent podcasts and audio updates. And before I go, a reminder that you can keep up to date with all the latest medical information and updates on our website at internationalsos.com. And from there, you can find out about our global network of assistance centres, which are available to clients 24-7. So until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>